Welcome to Novel Pairings, a podcast dedicated to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. In every episode, we'll bring our big English teacher energy, discussing the modern literary landscape in context with the classics. Along the way, we'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. In today's ultra cozy episode, we're pairing period dramas with classic literature and historical fiction. Hey, Chelsea. Hi, Sarah. You put in the copy that today's episode is ultra cozy, and that actually reminded me of one of our first, very first episodes that we released, like probably back in like, I don't know, March, April, May of 2020, when we just released our podcast, like just launched it for the first time. And then the COVID pandemic hit and we released a comforting classics episode. And I just feel like that's a great episode pairing for this one. So just mostly I'm just saying that to remind us to put that a link to that in the notes. Definitely. I think it's the perfect pairing. I am kind of surprised that we haven't talked about period pieces before. I mean, we have in passing, but I'm surprised we haven't come to this episode sooner just because of how many classic works of literature end up going to the big screen and becoming popular period pieces and TV shows and movies that people absolutely adore and rewatch over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. I've been rewatching. Well, actually, well, I watched the newest Downton Abbey movie for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and then I think I've rewatched it like three times since then because it's just the oh, really? Comfort. Yeah, it's not I that good, not but watched, it's, it's fun. <laughs> I haven't watched any of the Downton movies. Mm. I watched the show pretty religiously. Mm-hmm. I actually remember, so I had pretty nerdy roommates. I'm sure everyone's shocked by that. (laughs) Um, But we would like have little Downton Abbey watch parties. Remember when not everything was streaming and you would like watch things live with your friends? Yeah. And Downton was on when I was in college. I think it was maybe like the first or second, in its first or second season that we were watching it. And it was just such a cozy, fun tradition. We would make sure that we like got our studying done or we would like sit with our notebooks and stuff. We would just have it on. And so I have very fond memories of Downton Abbey. And I think that period dramas are just kind of like that for people. Like you have a sense memory associated with these in some way, whether that is the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice or Downton Abbey, and it just becomes a comfort watch. And it's good. They're like really good background shows. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know what I uh, ha- think about a lot, and maybe we should do a whole episode on this at some point, but just how we've talked about before when we've covered Victorian lit on the podcast. And even now, as we're reading the custom of the country, how we moved from like serialized fiction in magazines to novels. And within that, how we moved from kind of like reading in community, like people would read these serials aloud with their family members to reading being like an individual intimate act and now we're doing the same with TV and or we've done the same with TV. It's very interesting to me. I feel like 
that it, that has nothing to do with period dramas other than that you talked about Downton Abbey watch parties, which I also <laughs> remember. But I feel like there there's something there for us to talk about the difference in serializing stories versus like consuming them in as like one discrete um, piece of piece of art. Mm, that's really interesting. There are so many podcasts that offer serialized stories, right? Now. And so there are other places that they've popped up, and there are still the shows, you know, like the HBO Sunday Night Show. Yeah, that we still watch that way. But do but, we watch with a group of people? I don't think so. I know we we did used to do that with Game of Thrones. That was the one. Yeah, we, we did too. We did, but other other than that, no. And yeah, it's just it's interesting. I mean, even like the the theater is like you know going to the movie theater mm-hmm. is becoming has gotten less popular since COVID. It's just it's it's interesting. I think it really changes the way we think about art. Well, I think we definitely could talk about that on another okay, well, let's episode. Talk about period. <laughs> what what is a period drama? It's basically historical fiction for TV or movies. Um, I think Downton Abbey is just like such a prime example. It's one of the most p- popular period dramas of all time. It's not the first. There have been others. But I feel like Downton Abbey ushered in a different era for the period drama. And it, there, there was just something different about it. Whether it was yeah. just like the watchability and like a certain, a different kind of drama. Thinking about just like other PBS masterpiece classics that came before it, a lot of them were book adaptations. So I'm thinking of maybe like the Emma with Romola Garay. Um, and they're very like, you know, if you're watching a PBS masterpiece classic, it's going to be true to the book. It's going to capture the time period really well. And it's going to be a a comfort watch. I feel like Downton Abbey ushered in a different era for period dramas though, because just the juicy drama, it's not necessarily based on a single book and the upstairs downstairs of it all. It just, it, it feels like it, it's a marker to me. Yeah. I, I completely agree there. I mean, I feel like Downton Abbey is the perfect amount of like kind of low stakes drama. I mean, high stakes things happen, but the big drama of like, (laughs) are they going to keep the house, which shouldn't be more dramatic than like people like dying in each other's beds, but somehow like the way that the music swells and the way that they build, like that is the question, right? Like, are they going to keep the house? And mostly is like, you know, Lady Mary going to, going to get the life that she wants like that. It is, it's low stakes to a certain extent, but it's not always cozy. I think that's an interesting thing about the show is like, it still kind of builds tension um, and includes not unlikable characters, but characters who do really unlikable things. And that is a little bit different than like following our Jane Austen heroines. Do you love period dramas? Do you watch a lot? I do. I feel like I used to watch more. I used to watch more TV in general. (laughs) No, I don't. Um, I did watch all of the Buccaneers. I'm currently trying to make time to watch the Gilded Age. Um, I love Bridgerton. 
I loved Lady Charlotte. So yeah, I guess, yes. <laughs> yes, I do love period dramas. Um, I think a lot of it is super tied to like my love of reading historical romance novels. I've always loved historical fiction. I feel like, Sarah, there's probably a very, there's a straight line from the girls who read Dear America books and the Royal Diaries to the women who watch period dramas. Totally. And it is so cool with like, you know, a little bit higher budgets and all of that to see these things come to life. I think that is another reason, of course, that we, that people love period dramas because, you know, it's fun to imagine how people, people lived and all of that. But um, getting to see somebody's interpretation of it and what the sort of um, textured details of everything would look like, it, it feels like glimpsing back, even though even though you know what you know about how they make these decisions for TV. Um, yeah, I feel like I really enjoy period dramas, but I feel like I'm kind of at a saturation point. Not that I'm uninterested in them, but that just like if I feel like watching a period piece, it's rare that I would choose something new rather mm-hmm. than just rewatch something that I know that I really like at yeah. this point. Um, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I'll get into the Gilded Age soon, maybe once we finish custom. But for now, like when I think about like sitting down and watching, it's like, oh, I'd rather just put on something where I know what's going to (laughs) happen and, and enjoy the coziness. That makes sense. I heard a statistic. I think it was on the podcast with Knox and Jamie, and I don't know if they made it up. So take this with a grain of salt, but they were talking about how like by age 35, like you just don't integrate new music into your taste anymore. And you just listen to the music that you liked from your youth and that's it. <laughs> and that's interesting. I can, I can see why that would be like at that point, I, it, it's not just saturation point. I feel like it's also saturation of adult responsibilities and the, your mental capacity to absorb new things is just gone. Your yeah. worries and your responsibilities take up so much more space in your life. I feel like by a certain age, rewatching, re-listening to all of the same things totally makes sense. So we are going to talk about a bunch of period pieces today. Some of them are very cozy. Some of them are less cozy and are more dramatic and serious. And... um we're just going to talk about them. Some of them will be like beloved series that we've watched forever, like Downton Abbey. And some of them will be newer, maybe some that we're hoping to watch. And so I hope that with these pairings, we're going to share book pairings for these period dramas. And we just hope that you take something away, whether it's a book recommendation or a show that you want to watch for these cozy winter days when we're all stuck inside and it's super chilly. Unless you're one of our listeners who's like going to the beach tomorrow, in which case we're jealous. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about Downton Abbey first. Um, what I mean, are what more th- can we say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big house, threat of losing the house, upstairs, downstairs, views. Um, what do you want to pair? What are some of our pairings for this? 
we paired, no, we didn't, but we talked a lot about Downton Abbey when we talked about The Remains of the Day by yeah, Kazuo Ishiguro, mm-hmm. which just makes total sense. It's the the time periods kind of match up. A lot of the drama in Downton Abbey is huge social change. Mm-hmm. So it's this, fa- it's like, yes, will the family keep the house, but it's also, will these families keep power in Europe? And will these servants keep their jobs? Mm-hmm. Will this people? Is other, this is the other great. I think I've said this before, but the like great skill of Downton Abbey is just like turning you into like a aristocratic monarchist supporter, <laughs> where you're just like that Daisy. She is getting above her station, yeah. wanting to learn to read. You know, just like I don't know how they do it. And you're like Mary, just pick a husband so you can keep the big house and the pretty dresses, yeah. okay? Exactly. <laughs> He's handsome. Pick him. What are you waiting for? (laughs) That's so funny. Um, Yeah, I think The Remains of the Day is just such a perfect classic pairing because we're talking about this um, butler. He's going on a road trip and there are all these reflections about the past and like what's really happening in the big house. Where is he off to now? And um, yeah, that's I feel like if anyone loves Downton Abbey. They need to read The Remains of the Day. Totally. Yeah, it 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 really is um so great in terms of how it shows the way that that a you know, member of this kind of staff whole identity can be, you know, sub- subsumed, consumed by the family's identity and the house's identity and and upholding that becomes everything, even when like this person is their own person. So I, I think it's really, really well, well done. Um, also, I put in here American Heiress by Daisy Goodwin. Did you read that? I think I have. I I liked her books back in the day. Yeah. I think she writes solid historical fiction. Yeah. And it's the kind of historical fiction that's based on real figures. This one is based on, um, I think, a Vanderbilt named Cora, which is the name of the American wife in Downton Abbey. Um, And she, you know, she marries into this wealthy British family to keep the aristocratic British family that was once wealthy to keep the family afloat. And then the other one I put was Longborn by Joe Baker, which is a Pride and Prejudice retelling, but it is a retelling from the perspective of one of the servants, one of the Bennett's servants. Um, and I I thought this book was fine. I think it it suffered from like using maybe the best sentence in the book as a pull quote on the cover of the novel and <laughs> that was like, it kind of went downhill from there. Um, but it, an interesting, of course, look at the downstairs of a household and a story that many of us are very familiar with. I should have said at the top, we separated these kind of oh. by streaming service. Yeah, Just to make it easy for you, we'll keep it that way in the show notes for you as well. Um, so we're first talking about some PBS masterpiece shows. I think Downton Abbey is on Netflix now. Is that where it is? It's hopped streaming so. services a couple yeah. of times. So it's available for streaming, but it 
is a PBS masterpiece. And then we're going to talk about a couple other um, shows in that same category that either were on PBS or are available on PBS to this day. And I think there's an extension, there's like a PBS extension that you can get on Amazon Prime as well, which might just be worth it for like the next couple of months of cozy watching. So anyway, Poldark, PBS masterpiece. Did you watch Poldark, Sarah? I watched the first season. Same. And then I I don't know why it couldn't hook me I think the it's, way. It's, I, it, it's too high stakes for me, I think. Okay. In terms of what I'm looking for. So like you can't relax like, while watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's beautiful and the cast is beautiful. But um, yeah, the like the question of the 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 romance and like him his um well, people are like literally getting maimed in the yeah. minds in this show compared to <laughs> I guess down in Downton Abbey, people are getting maimed in World War One. So. You know, I don't know what it is about Julian Fellows, but he just like he can brush is over a it. manipulator. He <laughs> masters these this tone and makes you like feel political things you never thought you would feel. I don't know what he's doing over there, but he's just he's setting the benchmark. Well, dark um, is darker. It is grittier than a Downton. You're right. It, it's a very, it's a different tone for the show, mm-hmm. but still gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. It's set in Cornwall, like windswept mm-hmm. seaside cliffs, all of that. I didn't have any pairings for this. I think because I'm not particularly familiar with it, but but it's a series, a book series by Winston Graham. I think it's like 12 books long. My mom loves them, and I really do want to read them because it just it feels like a kind of like an outlander sort of thing, mm-hmm. just like a really like easy book series to get totally swept up in. Um, but I haven't I haven't done that yet. But I I think that people who are looking for just like a great historical series should try it because it's like a huge cast of characters. I think it just keeps kind of growing. It doesn't have the little bit of fantasy element that Outlander does. I know Outlander has like a, it's based on a big fantasy element, but then it doesn't feel like fantasy right. anymore. So so I think Poldark feels very similar to, to that. It is like very much kind of concerned with this like, you know, all-consuming great love and who who someone is supposed to be with and um, the setting is a little bit more wild. So I'm interested in reading those. Yeah, me too. I'm trying to think about when Poldark came out in relation to when the Outlander TV show came out. And I think that might've been part of why I like gave up on Poldark because I was more interested in watching Outlander. That's the narrative I have in my head. The timing might be a little off on that, but they are kind of similar tonally. I do think that Outlander in general makes a good pairing for Poldark, but we'll talk about Outlander a little bit later. Okay. And then you have one on here, Miss Scarlet and the Duke that I've never heard of. Yes, this is a mystery series. And Miss Scarlet, I don't remember exactly what her background is. I think that her father was an investigator and she's she's not a lady, but like you know, she's pretty prim and proper put together. And the Duke is not a Duke. (laughs) He is a um, detective 
and he's very attractive. <laughs> and they have this whole will they won't they vibe, but um, it's kind of if you like crime shows where it's like the people are partnered up and their personalities clash a little bit. And one of them is like, you're in danger. Why are you here? And um, the other one's like, well, I have to do my job and you're just not letting me do my job. It's it's great. Um, I have watched maybe the first season. And then just because I am not currently paying for the PBS subscription, I kind of fell off with it. But it's a show I would love to get back to because it is definitely cozy. Um, because there's a mystery element, each episode keeps you hooked. Super fun. And I believe that this is a Victorian London setting. So I have a couple of books that I think pair really well with this series, especially if you like that will they won't they tension between two main characters who are solving mysteries together. The Veronica Speedwell series by Deanna Rayborn is a great one. Um, and the Lady Sherlock series by Sherry Thomas. I feel like if you are reading those series and you haven't watched Miss Scarlet and the Duke, you are seriously missing out. And then um, last summer, Sarah McLean came out with an excellent historical romance novel called Knockout. And the hero is a detective in the London police force. And he's very like starchy and strict and very much like um, the main guy in Miss Scarlet and the Duke. And um, so I think any of those would be super fun pairings for this. But it's it's a delightful show, especially if you're interested in kind of that like romantic tension. Ooh, that's fun. Um, I'll add... I haven't seen this, but I'll just add Sarah Waters as a great author of historical mysteries set in mostly set in the Victorian period. Um, maybe darker, more literary. Um, but I mean, and all but all of her books that I've read center on some sort of mysterious happening. Not like a they're not procedurals, they're not crime fiction or detectives or anything like that, but still that element of mystery. Okay, Sarah, we are going to talk about a couple of period pieces that are available on, I keep wanting to call it HBO. It is now Max is the app. Um, have you watched Gentleman Jack? No, but I, I, was, I like, loved that romance last I read Gentleman Jim, but I think they're unrelated. Yeah, different. Okay. <laughs> Gentleman Jack. <laughs> Um, I watched a couple of episodes. Again, it's one that like, I'll get back to it eventually. I kind of like period pieces for that too. Like, I feel like they're easy to dip in and out of. Um, anyway, Gentleman Jack is based on the diaries of Anne Lister. And Anne Lister um, was a property owner, was a lesbian. Um, and her diaries... I I wouldn't necessarily pair her diaries here because like you could read them and you'll find some like nice salacious bits in there. But also reading anyone's journal is kind of like, I don't know that I need to know what you ate for lunch today or like who you had over for tea. You know what I mean? Um, but the TV series dramatizes those diaries and the um, lead actors are really great. So I am blinking on um, who actually plays Anne Lister, but she's wonderful. Um, so anyway, 
the book that came to mind for me, because in Gentleman Jack, there is this like, oh, I inherited this land from my uncle. And I right away thought of The Secret Lives of Country Gentlemen by K.J. Charles, where the main character, he's working in a law firm for his uncle, and then his father dies, and he inherits this estate out in the country. And he goes and travels there, and there's a smuggling operation being run (laughs) in the town or like on the island where he is. And the lead of the smuggling clan is this guy that he like had a secret affair with in London. And so it's, it's great. KJ Charles, you've read some KJ Charles before. Yeah. Just fabulous historical romance, great historical detail, excellent banter and humor really balances beautiful, well-told queer love stories and historical romance. Um, so I think it pairs really well with just the general vibes of the show. Um, the Secret Lives of Country Gentlemen by K.J. Charles. I have that one on my shelf. I am really eager to read it at some point. I feel it's like a little, it's a little chunky, right? Like like a 400-ish page romance or 350. I guess so. That's I can't not, remember. I not, think so. I probably read it on Kindle, so it didn't register to me. Um, I haven't read the second one yet. such a cute cover really cute cover. Mm-hmm. And there's a duology that features the Ooh. same kind of like smuggling clan and everything. So oh, fun. Um, okay. I haven't read the second one yet, but yeah, I think you'll like that one, Sarah. All right. So The Gilded Age, as I've said, I have not yet watched, but I know what The Gilded Age is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, so I really like season two. I think it's better than season one. Season one, obviously, like with any of these period pieces, I feel like season one has a lot to set up because you are not only introducing characters and a setting, you're introducing a lot of historical detail. And that can take a lot of exposition. And sometimes they start kind of slow. I feel like the Gilded Age Mm -hmm. starts kind of slow. There's also like, it's kind of, I mean, it's Downton Abbey-ish. It's a Julian Fellows show. So you're going to get kind of like echoes of that. But I want a little bit more of the downstairs. Mm. We're not getting very much of it. And I think part of that is because we have um, not necessarily dual stories because I do feel like the white people are taking precedence, but we have this storytelling about a vibrant African-American community in the Gilded Age. And um, I feel like those stories are taking up what would have been the downstairs space in a Julian Fellows show in a way, like in a good and bad way. I think I've talked about this on other episodes. I will include some links in the show notes to like some critique of this specific show and period pieces telling stories about people of color in general. Um, But anyway, so that's the Gilded Age. But overall, I do really like the show. Um, it's fun to watch. I love Carrie Coon. Mm, I love yeah, Carrie she's Coon. She's so great. She's so good. And I don't know if I, I think I've shared this story on the podcast. When I was in high school, I went to Shakespeare camp and met Carrie Coon. And oh. she, this was before she was famous. She was acting at the American Players Theater where we had Shakespeare camp. And the actors like 
directed our scenes that we performed. We had a lot of interaction with them and then we got to see them in their shows. So I got to see her in, I think she was Helena in A Midsummer Night's Dream. So like, that's my initial Carrie Coon contact. Like I have a picture with her (laughs) and she's going to be in The White Lotus too. Yeah, I saw that. Very excited about that for her and for all of us to watch. Um, She is just spectacular in this show. And her Morgan Spector, who plays her husband, is very attractive, too. They're like ultimate power couple. And I feel like if you're reading The Custom of the Country and you kind of like want to see that on screen, it's a perfect pairing for The Gilded Age because, man, she is a social climber. She's not necessarily as cold as Undine Sprague. She really (laughs) loves her husband and like has feelings, but it's a really good pairing. So I'm, I'm excited for you to watch it at some point. And I want to hear what you think about it. The costumes are worth watching alone, like gorgeous, gorgeous outfits and hats. (laughs) I love a hat. Um, I also put The Age of Witches by Louisa Morgan. She writes historical fiction that ha- that always features witches. Um, and these witches, like, they definitely can do magic, but it feels very, like, um, I don't know, like folklore roots, kind of the way she gives the magic vibes. It's not like they're, um, you know, out, out there doing all kinds of spells and, like, changing things around them. It feels like, I don't know, it feels very grounded in something like some traditional like sacred practices. I just really, I really like all of her books in this, in the series. And the Age of Witches is set in Gilded Age, New York. Um, It doesn't have quite as much of the, the feel that I like as some of her ones that are set in like Brittany and, um, and England, but but still, I, I really like that one. And then I haven't read The Davenports by Crystal Marcus, but have you read it? No, but I see it everywhere. The cover is really stunning. The cover is beautiful. And it is about, it's set in Chicago and it's about a successful black family and um, trying to marry off, I think they have three daughters. So, and it's the, the, the Davenports is the first book and what's supposed to be a planned series. I think it's YA, um, YA romance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you said, the cover is just, it's like this gorgeous, like butter yellow cover with a beautiful font and these beautiful people on it. Um, I'm really, I'm really curious about it, especially maybe at, as a companion to the Gilded Age because of what they're, you know, what you're talking about here with, um, with, with historical fiction depicting the lives of people of color. And then um, Fiona Davis. I know she's written Gilded Age stuff. I don't know which of her books. I think I've read like three of her books. I know that some of them are Gilded Age. Yeah. And if they're not, then they, yeah, I think she has got to have at least like three about Gilded Age landmarks. She writes, yes. so she writes historical fiction, but it's like centered around the architecture and yeah, which is place. so cool. Yeah. 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 I really, I really like that. So she, yeah, chooses these like either hotels or there's one about Grand Central Station or, and she kind of gets into the history of it through these always, you know, these plucky female characters. 
Let's talk about what's available on Netflix, Sarah. There are a lot of period pieces on Netflix, and we're just talking about TV today. We're not even talking about movies. I feel like Netflix has a lot of really good period movies too, but I think we can't talk about Netflix without first, I think we have to first talk about Bridgerton because that is currently, I would say, the big show on Netflix. It's like and their it's main changing thing. the historical fiction or the period drama landscape, mm-hmm. I feel like. like Yeah, like Downton Abbey did. Exactly. Bridgerton is doing it, it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you've watched a little bit of Bridgerton. Did you watch both seasons or? Just the first season. Okay. I'm really excited for season three because we're focusing on Penelope and Colin's yeah. relationship. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be stunning. I love um, Nicola. She's a fabulous actress. I loved her in Dairy Girls and I just, I'm Mm -hmm. excited to watch her career. So I'm very excited about that. But, um, I did read the Bridgerton series before watching the show and the books are really fun. Julia Quinn. Have you watched them all or read them all? Yeah. Yeah. I think I have. Wait, maybe except for the final one. I can't remember. It was a while ago that I read them, but they're very fun. Um, if you like Bridgerton and you want to read the books, don't expect it to be the same as the show. It's very different and adapted in great ways, I think, from the books, but um, it's a generally fun series. There's a lot of really good Regency romance that I could recommend for Bridgerton, Um but Sarah, you really liked a book, um, A Lady's Guide to Fortune Hunting by Sophie Irwin. Oh, yeah. And I, I liked like the second one by her, The Lady's Guide to Scandal or Scandal. something. Um, tell us a little bit about this one. It is a young woman, oldest daughter. I think there are like five daughters, very Pride and Prejudice um, setting family who's lost their money. And at the very beginning, she like gets broken up with by the wealthy man who she's supposed to marry, who um, she didn't love him, but she um, she she was going to do what she had to do to, to keep her family afloat and do what was right for her sisters. Um, and so she ends up having to go to London and do the whole season and try to find a wealthy man. And of course... She um, she pairs up with this this notorious rake who will kind of I think I think they're making people jealous. That's part of the scam, but also like he's just her guide to like who has the most money, and she, and she's her very kind of maniacal mastermind self in front of him, and um, it's a closed door or or maybe you'd even say chaste romance. Is that what you call it? Like. They kiss, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think Chase is like smooching, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what yeah. this is. <laughs> yeah, pretty chaste. I think I think that the second one is chaste as well. I think if you love Bridgerton, you gotta read Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. go to the original. Regency romance doesn't exist without Jane Austen's novels. And so Really, any Austin novel works well with Bridgerton, but Pride and Prejudice is like, yeah. Because in Bridgerton, you've got mothers who are trying to marry off their daughters and secure them good positions in society. And so you've got a lot of good Pride and Prejudice crossover there. And then, so Bridgerton has a spinoff show, Queen Charlotte, 
And there's just one season of that show out right now. Queen Charlotte is a prominent figure in the Bridgerton series, but she gets her own show. Queen Charlotte is great. It's better than Bridgerton. That's what you said. I need to check it out. Yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, put it on your watch list um, for your for your winter cozy season. I I think part of why I like it so much is it's not so yes, like she's a character in Bridgerton, but it's a spinoff that's not related really to Julia Quinn's books. It's more related to the real historical figure of Queen Charlotte. And whereas Bridgerton does some race-blind casting, some colorblind casting, Queen Charlotte has a diverse cast of characters, but their racial identities are important parts of the plot. They're important to the characters. It's important in the way that this society is shaped and works. They are in political and social conversations. It's not just brushed under the rug or passed by. It's a focal element of the series. And so I think that Queen Charlotte is doing period drama with diverse casting in a better way than a lot of other shows are are doing it. A lot of that just comes from having black writers in the room. And creators, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. creators whose identities match the characters, which I will say, Gilded Age, there are a lot of pieces written about the the black writers creating and shaping the storylines of that show. So oh, cool. even though there are some critiques out there, there are also, there's, there's praise to be had there as well. Um, for Queen Charlotte, there are two books I would recommend. The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan is a wonderful Regency romance. It's, I think she published it independently. So it's available like on, on Kindle. And it is about a Chinese British community. And I read it and I was like, okay, gotta read the author's note. And she goes into all of this historical detail that she based her book on. And it's fascinating. Um, so highly recommend that one for just like a total, deep dive into a part of history that I had no idea about. And then The Countess by Sophie Jordan. So in Queen Charlotte, we get flashbacks to young Queen Charlotte, but then we get present day. And we get some of these characters who are mature women, like Lady Danbury and Queen Charlotte, who are reflecting on their past marriages and talking about love at their at their age. The Countess by Sophie Jordan is the first in a series um, and it's about, it's like very scandalous. It's about a married woman who she's married to a terrible, terrible guy. And she has an affair with a younger man. Um, that is like very no, no in the romance genre affairs, infidelity. Oh, it's interesting. Bad. And so Sophie Jordan's really playing with that in this historical series. And, um, it's very scandalous, very Bridgerton ish. And she's got another one coming out soon. I don't remember what the title is. I think maybe it's The Duchess is coming out soon. I'll make sure it's included in show notes. But um, I think if you like the juicy court drama of Queen Charlotte, that's a good one to pick up. Well, of course, The Crown is also on Netflix. It just finished up with just the most boring second half of the season I could possibly have asked for. I'm so mad about it. <laughs> I don't think I've watched the last two seasons. I watched the Emma Corrin Diana mm-hmm. season and then that was it. 
I think I think I skipped the fifth season. I yeah. I either I watched it and like it was all very hazy, or I skipped that, and it just felt like it took a turn into like propping up this very much propping up this institution and these people at the end. Whereas I thought that the rest of the show had some nuance. Not not always. Not every episode did, but um, anyways. So, I mean, I think that a couple of fun ones, Victoria by Daisy Goodwin, um, is, you know, obviously different era of the royal family, but really, um, fun and, and pretty well-researched historical fiction about, um, Queen Victoria as a young woman and, um, meeting Prince Albert. I think similar to um, Queen Elizabeth, she was very like, this is the this is the one mm-hmm. I want. Um, and their love story is interesting to follow. And then The Royal We by Heather Cox and Jessica Morgan is like basically like William and Kate fan fiction novel. Um, I didn't make it past 10 pages, but people love this <laughs> book. <laughs> so. It's older now. I feel like... Um, the Casey McQuiston book, Red, White, and Royal Blue, has kind of oh, usurped it as yeah. the, the Royal We was very like, this is the juicy, fun, royal book that everybody uh-huh. wants to read. I feel like Casey McQuiston's book has kind of usurped it as the splashy yeah. beach read. This has just a a storytelling style that I hate, which is like very early. It's like a thing has happened and all of the characters are thinking about it, but none of them are telling you what it is. So you have to keep reading. It's like, I hate, I hate that device. Um, but then I also think that Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel and, and that series is a great pairing for this. Not, not because of the tone or anything like this is, you know, Wolf Hall particularly follows Thomas Cromwell. Um, obviously like, King Henry VIII and the other royals, Anne Boleyn and Queen Catherine. They're all characters, prominent characters in this book, but it's not juicy. It's not the Tudors, right? It's very like um, grounded. But she, I think, was doing something that the crown is doing, which is like understanding that it's artistic renderings that are the most memorable when it comes to historical figures. And so like people are going to remember like the Thomas Cromwell of Wolf Hall more than they're going to remember whatever they read in a history book. People are going to remember the characters of the crown much more vividly than the real story of, of what happened. And Oh my gosh. Can you imagine how pissed off Queen Elizabeth would be about that? Like well, being remembered like for that got- show? She got a really good edit at the end. So I don't think she would True, be pissed off in the long run. <laughs> but I just think about how long your career was and then think about like, oh, people are going to remember me because of this portrayal this on a show. TV show. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then I think Shakespeare's history plays because he was kind of the master at that. Like his portrayal of Richard II is how historians thought of Richard II for centuries. Mm-hmm. Like he defined that historical figure um, through his plays. And so I just, I, I think that returning to those and thinking about them as um, 
as purposeful acts of revising or creating history is a really interesting thing to do. All right, Sarah, let's talk about Outlander. I have not watched like the last two seasons, maybe. It got a little boring to me. And part of me is just like, how many times are we going to put these people through the same things? Totally. Like, how many times are we going to get kidnapped? How many times is someone going to get it raped? How many times is someone going to almost die in childbirth? How many times is someone going to be arrested for some political thing? Like, how many times are we going to repeat and repeat and repeat for the same people? (laughs) (laughs) And then I also don't really care about Brianna. Me neither. I don't like that. I don't think that actress is no. She's very dynamic. Very good. No. Um, and her chemistry, like, I feel like the chemistry between Claire and Jamie is, you know, enough to keep people watching and invested in their relationship. But the chemistry between Brie and Roger is not mm-hmm. like I they agree. should be hotter together. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're very attractive people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like they, they don't sizzle on screen the way that the other relationships do, which is part of the draw of Outlander is the romance. Um, look, it's still a beautiful show. Mm-hmm. And I think that at some point they go back to Scotland. So I that's hope always so. a plus. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of dropped off reading the books and I dropped off watching the show. Maybe it's something I'll return to and like watch from the beginning and kind of go all the way through. Maybe I've had book five of Outlander marked as currently reading on Goodreads <laughs> for like six years. At this point, you just have to keep it there for posterity. Yeah. <laughs> But I think there are lots of books that pair well with the Outlander show. Mm-hmm. I really like the Lost Queen uh, series by Senia Pike. It's set in in Scotland and based on um, the Scottish versions of the Merlin and King Arthur myths. It's really lovely um, and also has a strong female character. Emily Wilde's Encyclopedia of Fairies. Um, has that kind of fun, fantastical element and romance. And then not set in Scotland, but I, I just read The Frozen River by Ariel Lahan. Is that how you say her last name? I think so. Close enough. Um, yeah. It's based on a real woman, Martha Ballard, and you can actually read a full biography of her that won the Pulitzer for nonfiction in the night sometime in the 1990s but Ariel Lahan has fictionalized her her life and um she was a midwife in 1780s Maine and she kept meticulous journals and so it was easy to to kind of base the story in her life and she doesn't really try to capture a, a historical tone in this so it kind of reads like Claire in Outlander, Mm, like a mm -hmm. modern woman um, talking about the time period she's living in and being a healer and, and all of that. And and like many of the same uh, perils that befall Claire and Jamie over and over befall this, this group of people Mm. as well. So uh, keep that in mind for, for sensitive readers. But um, that was pretty good historical fiction, Frozen River. Finally on Netflix. I watched The Empress, which is a German period drama, and I really liked it. Um, I don't know that I would watch it again. 
I don't know if I liked it that much, but like it was a fun, fun watch in the moment. Came out in 2022 and it is based on the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria, who married Emperor Franz Joseph. Um, Apparently it was Netflix's second most watched series worldwide for two weeks running and it hit it really big on Netflix. People love period pieces on Netflix. Netflix should just become a period drama streaming service if I had my druthers. But anyway, it starts with 16-year-old Bavarian Duchess Elizabeth, known as Sissy um, von Wittelsbach, and she falls in love with the Emperor of Austria, who was supposed to marry her older sister. Um, So drama there. Um, She goes to the Viennese court and is just thrust into this. If you think that the crown has drama, you should go to the Viennese court in Austria. Like the, it is scandalous and (laughs) backstabby and there's a lot going on. So anyway, um, there's a lot of family drama here. There's a lot of political intrigue, but it's also a coming of age story. Um, It is in German. So watch with subtitles or, um, you know, your, your captions on and such. But um, I think that they had, English dubbing as well. So yeah, it was really fun. And the uh Sissy, the Empress, she's like a very well-known historical figure, lots of books written about her. I have not read any to recommend, but I will recommend Hotel of Secrets by Diana Biller, which is a romance novel um set in Austria. I say it's a romance novel with that like hesitation in my voice because it's the kind of romance novel that I think non-romance readers would like if they just really like historical fiction. Because it's okay. it's not set in London like so many other historical romances. It's got all of that court intrigue. It's got espionage. Um, and it is primarily about a young woman who is running a big beautiful but somewhat run-down hotel that's been in her family of women and passed through the line of women for years. There's also like some superstition and it's just it's a super super fun unputdown pull romance and great historical detail. So Hotel of Secrets by Diana Biller and the Empress is a just beautiful period piece to watch on Netflix. All right. On Hulu there's the great uh, which is about Catherine the Great with L. Fanning. Um, I never, I did not finish this season, but I really liked it. I think for for whatever reason, I just dropped off watching it. It is hilarious. It's like very irreverent in terms of tone, farcical, but like also like bloody and and just over totally over the top. Um, I kind of want to go back to it, but, um, oh, and, and Nicholas Holt plays the, the czar and he's really good. Um, but I'll pair it with Margaret the first by Daniel Dutton, which is based on, um, the real Margaret Cavendish. And actually there's a biography of Margaret Cavendish coming out this month. Um, but this is also just kind of like zany and, um, and odd and also irreverent tonally, completely different, a uh, different settings. 
And, you know, Margaret the first, she wasn't a, she, despite the title, she was not a queen. Um, she was just kind of like the, one of the first women philosophers is where that comes from. And she wrote some really wild philosophical treatises and the, the book, it's very short. It's like 160 pages and it captures her really well. I think I watched maybe like one or two episodes of The Great, and I don't think I watched it at the right time. Yeah. I probably started watching like when I was nursing Theo or something, and mm-hmm. it just totally, no, blank, mm-hmm. blank in my mind there. Um, but I would love to go back and watch it. I've heard excellent things. People love this show. I think I would yeah. totally love the humor of it as well. So it's definitely on my list to go back and watch. The other problem is Hulu does not sync up with our TV. Hulu's not the greatest app. No, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, it's a and tough so it's just platform. annoying to watch on Hulu right now. We've yeah. done everything we possibly can think of to get it to get yeah. the sound syncing better, and just it just isn't working. So, anyway, <laughs> if you don't have those problems, watch the great on Hulu. Totally. And we have three shows on Amazon Prime to round out our period drama recommendations and pairings. Have you watched, because I know this is like one of your favorite books, have you watched The Good Lord Bird? Yeah, I actually watched it first. It oh, is really? so good. Yeah. Um, just Miles wanted to to watch it. And so we watched it together and then I ended up reading the book. Um, it's so good. And it really, really captures the the book, the, the plot, the tone. Uh, the Frederick Douglass scenes are so good. Um, I think uh, Ethan Hawke was like incredible in this, like born to play that John Brown role. I I loved it, and I think you could you could. I mean, I would re- read the book first because it's James McBride and it's exceptional. It won the National Book Award, but the show does a really good job of it. Where what did you guys watch it on? Do you remember? Um, I think it's Showtime. Was it? I think maybe we watched it on Showtime. Okay, it was out. Yeah. I was just trying to figure out because I was investigating like where to watch it. So I'm sure you can watch it with the Showtime plugin or something. Mm-hmm. But on Amazon Prime, you can buy them. It's a mini series, so right. you're just buying the mini series. You're not like signing up for a bunch of future seasons of this. You can buy the mini series for nine bucks. Oh, that's awesome. Which seems totally worth it. Well to worth me. it. Yeah. yeah you're not sure. getting a subscription. Honestly, I kind of wish more shows would do that. Mm-hmm. It's like buying the DVD set right. of the yeah. TV show, right? So anyway, W.E.B. Du Bois wrote a book about John Brown. I didn't know this. I didn't know that either. And so, yeah, must be, I don't know, classic. Sounds fascinating to me but could be a cool pairing for the good Lord bird. Absolutely. Have you watched the underground railroad on Amazon prime? I haven't. I mean, I love the Colson Whitehead book. Me too. I feel like this. So this is the tricky part with a period piece. It's a heavy show. It's a heavy book. Am I, I don't know. I, I struggle with like, I need to, sometimes force myself to watch a show instead of being like, well, I'm not in the right headspace for it because Mm -hmm. it's a great show and it's 
important to watch. Great storytelling. Yeah. And, you know, but I just, I, yeah, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. And the viewing and the reading I find to be really different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched yet either for, for similar reasons. I, I would like to though. And I also feel like it's so important to watch and show like keep making. Yeah. Not necessarily like they, you don't, not necessarily keep making shows about slavery, but keep making period pieces, historicals that are not just mm-hmm. the glitzy, glamorous white worlds that we like to escape into as white women readers and viewers, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I have not watched yet. I, I absolutely love the book. And I'm really curious to see how they bring it to life because of that, um, the element, the fantastical element of the Underground Railroad being an actual railroad or an actual train. I I, I imagine it's like spectacular on the screen. Um and so, of course, pairing for that would be the book itself, um, Beloved by Toni Morrison. Let Original historical fiction. Yes. Uh-huh. By Jasmine Ward. Um, and The Water Dancer by ta mm-hmm. Coates. Um, lots of really uh, challenging but spectacular narratives using that spiritual, fantastical, difficult-to-define aspect of storytelling that these authors do so well. Yeah, I'm I have heard good things. I and you know, I haven't been in the headspace to watch a lot of prestige television in general. Yeah, so yeah, I'm just it's watching just, crap TV for sure. Yeah. Um my viewing has leaned more towards this last period piece, Rain, which we both loved when it was on the CW. This was such a fun show. I I want more of this where it's like, we'll take a time period. We're not going to be too serious about it, but it's going to be kind of serious. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so, it was so fun. I love a trashy teen CW show. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. And I think Mary Queen of Scots is so interesting. Like mm-hmm. I, um, I would like to read more more uh, books about her. I know Alison Weir has, she writes great actual like history and historical fiction. I'm not sure if her Mary Queen of Scots book is nonfiction or fiction, but there's also The Other Queen by Philippa Gregory is Mary Queen of Scots historical fiction. And then um, what's her name? Uh, Margaret George. She writes those like huge huge historical fiction books. I've actually only read her book, Helen, about Helen of Troy. Um, Not the same kind of historical, obviously. Um, But she has one about Henry VIII. Her Mary one is called Mary, Queen of Scotland and the Isles, but it is fiction. Um, I've been wanting to read that one, but it is very chunky. Mm Mm-hmm. I just think Rain is the perfect distillation of what made those Royal Diaries books so fun. Totally. Mm-hmm. It's like, very much they're girls like, just like us. <laughs> yes. They're they're girls. They like having best friends and like all it's just it's great. <laughs> and um I highly recommend the 
My Lady Jane novel by Brody Ashton. There are like three other authors on it. And this team has written several other books. I know I've recommended this one on the podcast before. It's really fun. It's about Lady Jane Grey, who famously was killed <laughs> very shortly after Queen for like nine days, right? Yeah. Something like that. Um, but it has this fantasy element to it and it's, yeah, it's a, a super fun listen and it's funny and doesn't take that piece of history too, too seriously. So I would like to watch Rain again, I think. I was happy to see it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. I would like to watch that again too. It, uh... It really goes off the rails, I feel like, at a certain point. Oh, yeah. But. Like any CW show. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's super fun. All right. Well, I I really enjoyed this episode. I feel like I have some things on my watch list now, which hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, Not same. just my TBR list. So you'll have to let us know, Chelsea. If you check out any of the things that we talked about today that you haven't seen yet, and I will do the same. All right, Sarah. Well, it was lovely to chat about period dramas today, and we would absolutely love it, everyone. We haven't had very many reviews on Apple Podcasts lately. Those reviews absolutely, without a doubt, help us on the podcast charts and help new listeners discover our show If you love period dramas and you want that kind of experience that we were talking about at the top of the show with serialized reading and community, then you should join our Patreon community. It's not too late to join us for reading the custom of the country. You can go back and catch up at your own pace and listen to our recap episodes, chat with us as a community. We would love to have you for our Wharton and Winter read-along. So go to patreon.com slash novel pairings. And as always sharing our podcast on Instagram or with your friends or with your book club is huge for us. It supports our small business and we cannot thank you enough for recommending our podcast. And we're just really grateful to have you all here. Yeah. Thank you to our, all of our patrons and a special thanks to our executive producers, Karen, Diane, Emma, Dilma, Kathy, Amy, and Jody for keeping our show running. Thank you as well to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. And we'll be back to discuss the custom of the country by Edith Wharton. Like Chelsea said, all of that extra goodness will stay on Patreon. If you listen to that episode and then you're like, I need to know more about this book, it will be there for you. Um, And we'll be having our book club discussion at the end of February. So until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. 